Thank you, Tara. That was awesome. It's always cool to see that. Okay, <clears throat> first I'll apologize if I, I was saying to the guys in the back that uh, uh, I had a sinus infection this last week that I've been dealing with, so that's what that thing is there. So if you don't mind, I'll just spit on the floor if I need to. And <laughs> no, it's, yeah. I know. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. The uh, my message today is going to be the virus of doubt. That uh, see, look, I I I understand that. I totally get that. Go get a Z pack. It helped me. But I'm working this off uh, and didn't have time to pull it up, and we don't need to read through the, the whole passage at this point because it references inside the sermon. But I'm uh, working off Luke chapter 7, verses 9 through 35. So the virus of doubt. Have any of you heard about this virus going around? It's, yeah, I'm sure we have. Not the COVID one or the flu one, which are quite bad. Well, there's a spiritual virus that's been going around Christian circles for centuries, and it's called doubt. And if you haven't caught it yet, you probably will. In fact, we could divide everyone here into three groups. And I apologize for this right up front. I say I didn't say at the beginning is I got this and I've modified it from a friend pastor of ours at a Methodist church. And I kind of like this bit, but <laughs> you'll see it's not, not for offending. The first group would be those who have doubted. And the second group would be those who haven't doubted yet, but who will? And the third group will be those who are brain dead. <laughs> like I did before. I didn't write that. Yeah, I did actually. Now, I'm not trying to insult anyone, but what I mean by this is if you're thinking, if you're a thinking person at all, if you seriously contemplate your faith and what it means to follow Jesus Christ, the chances are that every once in a while, you're going to come down with some questions. And I think we all have. You're going to come out with some issues, some uncertainties, some doubts. And by the way, that's not just a Christian experience. Doubt is a normal experience that's common to anybody, any human being. Think about it. Even atheists doubt the position, their position from time to time. And I know Diane and I have seen that. We've met... You get talk to some atheists, and they actually doubt where they are uh, until some of the friends come in, and they'll, they'll drag them back. Uh, so you just got to keep working on them. So the question isn't, will you catch the virus of doubt? Because you probably will. The big question is, how can you prevent that virus from turning into a terminal disease that ultimately kills your faith? And it will. You see, it's a very uh, real risk if doubt is left untreated. I mean, just because doubt is common doesn't mean it isn't serious. It can be serious if you just let it spread out of control, just like any virus, just like a sinus infection that if I didn't go to the doctor would be terrible, and <coughs> Diane made me go, by the way. The problem is that some Christians leave their doubt untreated because they don't want to admit they have it. They have a stigma about it. They mistakenly think that to be a real Christian, you must have absolute certainty about everything regarding the faith. And so they're afraid to admit it when doubt starts eating away at them. 
In fact, I remember speaking to a group of teenagers a long time ago about doubt. Diane and I ran a youth group with a bunch of teenagers, and they had some strong questions. I remember one young man, new to the youth group, we took care of, coming up to me and saying that he was so glad to hear me say that doubt is common because he thought that he was the only one. I think we can all say that. He said he was afraid to admit he had questions. He said that everybody seemed to have such a strong faith around here. He didn't want the other boys to think he was some kind of wimp. Now, I bet you can all admit that, especially if you've been in church a lot in your life. You all admit to that where you, I don't want to say anything because people are going to think I'm a wimp. Now, I also remember having a great discussion at a church we went to in Northern Virginia with a men's Bible study group who, believe it or not, were mostly admirals and generals and because, again, it was just outside of Washington, D.C., and lots of well-known military folk. And it was a shock to me to know that they had doubts because you would think that you know, they wouldn't, but they did. Have you ever felt that way, that you're unusual because you have questions or doubts? I came to Christianity in my 30s, and, I'm sure had quest and, and I sure had questions, and I still do. And I'm not afraid to say them. Well, none of us are unusual for having these thoughts. So it's okay to come clean. Are you infected with doubt even today? You can admit it. You're actually among friends. In this church and fellow Christians, you're among friends. Maybe you doubt that God has really forgiven you. Or you wonder whether the Bible really is the word of God. Or you question why God lets people suffer. Or you've been praying for help with a struggle in your life, but so far there's been silence. And you're wondering whether anybody at home in heaven, or whether anybody's at home in heaven, or whether he really cares. Maybe you have questions about how God created the world, or how he'll end it. Or you've said to yourself, I think I've become a Christian, but sometimes I'm not sure. Maybe I wasn't sincere, sincere enough when I prayed. If those kind of issues bother you, you've chosen the right service to attend because today I'm going to go through talking about doubt and try to accomplish three objectives. First, I'm going to put the virus of doubt under the microscope to see what it really looks like. Then I'm going to diagnose how doubt infects us and what makes the virus grow inside of us. And finally, I'm going to look at some practical ways to get nurse back to spiritual health after a bout with doubt. Yeah, I know, I'm a poet and I don't even know it. But your feet really show it because they're long fellas. My feet really show it because they're long fellas. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. In other words, what is doubt? What causes it and how should we deal with it? How do we deal with doubt? So first, let's put the doubt virus under the microscope. So what do we see? Well, for one thing, when we look closely at doubt, we expose some misconceptions about it. In fact, there are three things you might think doubt is, but it isn't. First, you may think doubt is the opposite of faith. It isn't. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And that's a very important distinction. A distinction. What is unbelief? Well, generally in the Bible, unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe. It refers to a deliberate decision to disobey God. A willful decision to disobey God. That's not doubt. That's not what doubt is. To doubt is to be indecisive or unsure over an issue. It's where you're hung up between certainty and uncertainty. 
you haven't come down squarely on the side of disbelief, but you're up in the air over something. You've got questions or concerns about some facet of your faith. In fact, listen to this. You can have a strong faith and still have some doubt. You really can. You can be heaven-bound and still express some uncertainty over certain theological issues. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I see I didn't spit. You can be a full-fledged Christian without having to feel like every single question of life has been absolutely settled. In fact, it has been said that struggling with God over the issues of life doesn't show a lack of faith. That is faith. That is faith. You can see that in the Psalms. So your doubts don't necessarily mean you don't have faith. So first, doubt isn't unbelief. And second, some people think that doubt is unforgivable. But it isn't. You see, God doesn't condemn us when we question him. You can see that in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke. So if you're in that seventh chapter, just so you can start looking at it. The section recounts the time when John the Baptist was in prison and he was having doubts about the identity of Jesus. In verse 19 it says, And summoning two of his principals, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? I mean, just think about that for a minute. This is the, one, this is the person who once pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same person who baptized Jesus and saw the heavens open up and God proclaim, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this is the person who once said, I've been, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And now he's got doubts. Now he's not sure. And now is Jesus really the Messiah or not? So he dispatches some of his representatives to find out. So he sends people to go see because, you know, it's easier to send somebody else. Well, how does Jesus react? Does he verbally smack John around for doubting? I remember my dad doing that. Does he criticize him or shame him? Well, look at his response in verse 22. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now in other words, instead of smacking John, Jesus said to, to tell him about all the evidences that they have seen that confirms that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Give him the evidence he's after. And how does Jesus feel about John now that he has shown some doubt? <coughs> does he think less of him? Well, now look at verse 28. Jesus says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Think about that. Jesus gave John the highest compliment in the world at the same time that John was in the midst of doubting. And in the midst of your doubts and questions and concerns, God will not smack you. In fact, think about this. Wouldn't God rather have you be honest with him about your doubts than to profess a phony faith? Of course he would. An honest relationship means we need to tell the truth about how we feel. So doubt isn't unforgivable. We expect the same thing of our kids. Just tell us the truth. It doesn't mean there's no consequences. Just tell us the truth to children. And third, you may think doubt is unhealthy. 
but it isn't always. The truth is that doubt can actually produce some positive side effects. To keep the medical analogy, it's like getting an immunization. To help your body fight off a future disease, doctors inject you with a small amount of that very same disease at times. And your body built up antibodies that will battle off that disease if it ever threatens you. Your body is actually stronger for the experience. <coughs> Sorry. Well, when, we've, uh, when we're infected with some doubt and we seek answers to our questions and deal constructively with the doubt, we emerge stronger than ever because our faith has been confirmed once more. And that gives us new confidence in dealing with doubt in the future. I just have to have a drink, sorry. Sinuses are not fun. Okay. Sorry about that. So while we shouldn't go out of our way to seek doubt, it can work to our benefit if we deal with it responsibly. Well, now what do you think? Doubt does tend to look a little different when you're examining it up close, doesn't it? But it can still be dangerous until it's, unless it's dealt with, and we can't really deal with it until we know its source. So let's diagnose where the virus of doubt comes from so that maybe we can write a prescription for it. Just call me Dr. Duncan. Just Dr. Duncan. It just has a good ring to it. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Of course, there's lots of sources for doubt, but let's look at how doubt tends to infect our minds, our emotions, and our will. And as we look at it, each of these areas, now I want you to be asking yourself, if this sheds any light in the source of any doubts that you might have, now, first doubt often gains a foothold in your mind. It sort of grabs a hold. This is where we come up with intellectual objections to the faith. And, you've, and if you've met anybody, you can come up with things like that all the time. This is where we begin wondering whether things like heaven and hell and Satan and angels and miracles and the resurrection are really rational to believe in. Doubt often develops in our mind because we don't know why we believe what we believe. For instance, it may start with a conversation with a friend who says, so, you believe uh, Jesus is God? And he says, well, why do you believe that? Oh, sure I do, sorry. And then why do you believe that? So you take out your Bible and you, you're about to show him all those passages that demonstrate Jesus is God. But he says, wait a minute. You don't expect me to believe anything in that book, do you? And you say, well, why not? He says, everyone knows it's full of contradictions in mythology. Don't you know that? Come on, this is the 21st century. Why in the world would you believe that book is the word of God? You say, uh, well, I just believe it, that's all. That's when doubt appears. That's when you first see it. Maybe he's right. How do you know the Bible's reliable? Maybe it isn't. Maybe you swallowed this Jesus story, hook, line, and sinker, without asking the right questions. Maybe I need to ask more questions. You know, it's been said that Christians should believe simply. And that is, have the faith of a child, but they shouldn't just simply believe. Because the chances are that someone, sometime, somewhere, is going to challenge your faith. 
And not knowing why you believe what you believe makes you vulnerable to doubt. And the word is vulnerable, not vulnerable. And so does not knowing what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, that'll bring doubt. For instance, having an inaccurate view of God, if you know all about God's love, but nothing about his justice and holiness and righteousness, you're probably going to develop doubts about why he does what he does and why he doesn't do what you think he ought to. And that's a breeding ground for doubt. Or if you think God has promised to answer all your prayers, you're going to develop doubts when he doesn't come through all the time. But I prayed. Or if you think God guarantees health and wealth to his followers, you're going to begin doubting whether you're really a follower when health or wealth don't come your way. But the problem isn't with God since he never promised those things. It's never promised. The problem is that you've got an inadequate view of who he is. And that is an open invitation to doubt. Not only can doubt breed in our minds, but it can also develop in our emotions. That can happen in several different ways. For instance, some people have a faith that's built on feelings. I'm an emotional believer. That's, that's who I am. And th that one rings true with me. They had a euphoric emotional experience when they were converted. And they were emotionally pumped up for a while. But eventually that spiritual high begins to wear off. And they start wondering whether their faith is slipping or whether they're really a Christian at all. It's like that old Gordon Lightfoot song. I know I'm dating myself. And I'm not going to sing it. I don't know where we went wrong, but the feeling's gone and I just can't get it back. <laughs> yeah, I know. They've misunderstood the, misunderstood the role of emotions and faith. Faith isn't fundamentally a feeling. It's a decision of the will to follow Jesus Christ. It doesn't ebb and flow depending on how emotionally pumped up you are. Others are susceptible to mood swings and depression. And they find that when they're emotionally down, that's when doubt creeps in. And I've seen that. I have seen that in the different types. I actually studied that stuff uh, on, in different types and personalities and how they believe in Jesus. And it's, it's really interesting. In fact, just like some people are more susceptible to certain diseases, people with a melancholy personality are especially vul vulnerable to doubt because they take a sort of questioning and contemplative approach to life. That's just how they're wired up. I know of one man in my past who was plagued with doubts when he'd go through a period of depression. But then he came to this conclusion. Though my emotions may flap like a flag in a strong wind, I'm learning to trust that God doesn't move. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, he's often doing the biggest work in me when I feel the lowest. Even in the valley, God is good. The mountain peaks are fun, but the thin soil on the summit is not nearly so nourishing of spiritual fruit as that rich, dark hummus in the valleys. I spoke to the guy the other day, actually, it was a week ago. Uh, we were texting. And he still goes through times when he's depressed, but he no longer doubts when he's down. Which, I mean, that's amazing when you think about that. Another way doubt can develop is among people who've been emotionally scarred from an experience in their past. In other words, if you suffered parental abuse as a child, if you've been abandoned by your parents or a spouse, if you felt unloved or unworthy of love, that can affect the way you view God. 
You may develop chronic doubts and uncertainties because deep down inside, you're just waiting for God to let you down like people have in your past. So doubt can inflict our emotions as well as our mind, and it can also develop because of our will. Our will, of course, is where we make choices. For instance, doubts can multiply when a Christian makes the willful decision not to turn away from a pattern of sin in his life or her life. Sin, of course, creates a lack of peace and a sense of being separated from God. And so when the person can't find peace, he questions why God isn't comforting him. And when he feels that God is distant, he begins to doubt whether he's there at all. When actually, the underlying cause of his doubt is his own willful decision to cling to sin. And then there's the way that a stubborn sense of pride can cause doubt to breed. Finally, doubts can run rampant when you've never committed your life to Christ in the first place. Now, in other words, you've doubts about your relationship with God because you don't really have one. You may be living on a hand-me-down faith from your parents or think you're a Christian because you've been baptized as a child or attended church. But you've never made a knowing, willful decision to humbly receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Christ is offering. I, I mean, it's no wonder you've, been, you've got doubts about his presence in your life uh, or you feel he's distant. So doubt can breed in our will, our emotions, and our minds. And before I go on, I have to acknowledge the role that Satan plays in the implanting doubts in us and encouraging them to multiply out of control. We were actually talking about this two weeks ago. Uh, I think it was in our Bible study about how Satan plants doubts and whispers in your ears. Jesus called Satan the father of lies, and he whispers lies in our ear to create mistrust and confusion. We shouldn't ignore the threat he poses, but we shouldn't get fixated on him either. Because of what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Little children, you are from God, and the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater than the one that is in the world. So those are just a few of the ways we can get infected with doubt. And once we're afflicted, it's imperative that we do something to regain our spiritual health. Now, that's not always easy. Now, I don't want to mislead you in thinking it is, but there are some steps we can take. I got 150 steps here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was, I was watching down there, some people t taking notes. I'm thinking, 150? In fact, I'll mention five steps in battling the doubt virus, and so you might be able to remember them better. I'll take the word faith. And faith just happens to be one of our uh, daughter-in-law's names as well. And use each letter from that word as the beginning of each step. For instance, the F in faith stands for this step. Find the root of your doubt. In other words, you need to diagnose the source of your doubt before you can deal with it. I've just gone through some examples of how doubt can affect our minds, our emotions, and our will. And maybe, as you heard one, you said to yourself, hey, that's me. I know I did. If it didn't hit on the source of your doubt, do some self-examination and some research. And you can also get some ideas from, you know, Michael's going to listen to this afterwards. Just call Michael. And, uh, <laughs> but ask Michael, ask anybody, uh, you know, take a look at, and there's some great ideas of different books that will help you. Uh, the A in faith stands for the next step. 
The A is ask God and others for help. Be as honest with God as the father of the demon-possessed boy was in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, when he said to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. Actually, he wasn't suffering from unbelief. He was afflicted with doubt. Remember, there's a difference, as I talked about a few minutes ago. But the important thing is this. He asked Jesus to help him, and Jesus did. He healed his son. And you know it's not out of bounds for you to ask God to bolster your faith in the midst of doubt. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. Ask for things. Turn to God for help. Not as a last resort, <coughs> last resort, but as a top priority. Ask him to lead you to answers and give your insights and wisdom and give you insights and wisdom and confidence. Confidence is a tough one, I think, for some. You've got to ask for confidence. And we forget. Turn to Christians in your life, too. This is why small groups are so important. Because those are safe places where you can admit that you're grappling with questions and ask for input on what the root cause might be. Let them encourage you and pray with you. We do, don't we? And a small group doesn't mean coming to church sometimes. It may be like if you've got a group together, and uh, like we did the other night, and then you come and you end up having something on your heart, and you pray about it, and you focus on those things. And that's when you come together. And anytime you're in a small, if something's preying on you, have the courage to pray about it. James 5.16 says, We should honestly admit our struggles and shortcomings to each other and pray for each other. Now, why do we do that? So the verse says that we may be healed. So now the T, oh sorry, the I, so I'm really jumping ahead there. The I in faith stands for this advice. Identify a course of treatment. Now that you've found the root cause of your doubt and you've sought God's wisdom and the input of others, what plan are you going to implement to fight this virus? I remember younger, I used to hate making plans. I used to hate it because I'd have to follow them. So I didn't do them. And, and now you, know, you get a little bit older and you think you have to have a plan. And it really is. And you can't fight anything. You can't fight this virus without a plan. Now, for instance, instead of just saying you've got some vague intellectual concerns about the faith, what specific questions do you have? Write them down. Pinpoint them with precision because then you can pursue answers. You can ask people. And tell you what, there are a lot of satisfying answers out there for those who make an effort to find them. Now, if emotional issues are generating doubts, maybe you need to talk through your past with a Christian counselor who can help... Uh, get you on the road to healing. If it's a question of your will, where specifically are you holding back from God? I mean, really, the choice is yours. You can let disobedience or pride plague you with doubts for the rest of your life or submit your whole life to God and really experience the adventure of Christianity. And it's an adventure. And there's highs and lows. And it's an adventure. I used to call it the roller coaster ride. And if you're not sure whether you've ever really become a Christian, then why not make sure once and for all? Go ahead and pray to receive Christ as your forgiver and leader. If it turns out you've already done it, then it's just a recommitment. And that's fine. It's fine to recommit. But then once you've done it, put the issue to rest. The Bible says when you humbly reach out to receive Christ's free gift of eternal life, you're his child from then on. So you don't have to dwell on doubting your salvation anymore. Anymore. So just identify a course of treatment. So now we're on to T. The T stands for a preventative measure we're all, we all need to take. Take care of your spiritual health. 
just like I have to take care of my physical health. Thank you, Diane. <clears throat> In other words, a body is less susceptible to viruses when it's healthy, right? Strong bodies can fight off minor infections before they become serious. And a spiritually strong faith is better, off, uh, better able to ward off the virus of doubt when it threatens to infect you. So just like a body is strengthened through good nourishment and exercise, build up your faith through both knowledge and action. By knowledge, now I mean get serious about learning more about God and why he's trustworthy. Systematically study the Bible and make it regularly to a Bible study with other believers. Read Christian books. I'm going to jump back on that too. I know some friends of mine actually, they did some great Bible studies online and they work with people online and they'll do these uh, uh, Facebook uh, meetings and they'll do a Bible study because they, they either they can't get out or they're still afraid to get out. Read Christian books and listen to tapes to build up healthy, well-balanced understanding of who God is and why it's uh, rational to put your trust in Him. If you don't know where to start, again, get in touch with Michael. <laughs> I'm doing that just for Michael, so when he hears this, he's going to go, what? They're going to all call me. That's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And through your day-to-day -day actions, build up your faith by exercising it. After all, we learn best by doing. And when we learn best, by, uh, best about the trustworthiness of God, when we make the daily decisions to, to submit our lives to him and to press the envelope of our faith. To taste, as King David said, and to see for ourselves, the Lord is good. And when you do these things, listen to what happens. When doubt hits, it much easier, it's much easier to look back on your knowledge about God and your personal experience with him and say, I may not know the answers to this particular question yet, but I've got plenty of evidence that God is real and plenty of evidence that the Bible is true and plenty of personal experience that God cares about me. And all of that gives me confidence that God has an answer for this question. And that's key. That really is key. So I'm not going to panic or toss my faith out the window because that's an easy thing to do. That's the doubt thing. That's where Satan comes in and wants you to panic. So I'm not going to panic. I'll keep trusting God because he's shown me in many ways that he can be trusted. That's why spiritual health is so important. It can ward off the germ of doubt before it starts multiplying. So finally, H in faith stands for this. Hold your remaining questions in tension. Now I saw this one in a sermon. Again, this, was, this came from that uh, Methodist preacher that, that Diane and I both know. He's a really good godly man. So what I mean by what he meant by this is that because we are limited to people with limited minds, we can't understand everything about our unlimited God. So there are bound to be some questions that we have to wait to get full and complete answers to. You're just not going to have all the answers. Maybe as we mature in our mature in our faith over the years and continue to seek God's wisdom over time, we'll get a better glimpse of the answer. Or maybe we'll just have to wait for the day when we get to heaven. So we can raise our hand and say, ooh, ooh, Jesus, come here, come here, I need to talk to you. I've got a question that's been bugging me for a while. Think about how cool that would be. I mean, how cool that's going to be. I've got a question, I've got a question. I have had lots of questions. The, uh, and the questions could be things like, exactly how does predestination fit in for, with free will? Exactly how does this Trinity thing work? Why didn't I seem to hear from you that time when I was in need? Why is it, as one little boy once wrote, I prayed for a puppy, but I got a little brother instead. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'll tell you what, my arm is going to be in the air. I'm going to be waving my arm. Maybe yours will too. And that's okay. God will answer. Hey, we've got, the, we've got eternity to satisfy our curiosity when you think about it. And until then, we can say, oh, I may not have all the answers to every single question, uh, every single one of my questions, but the answers that I do have point me unmistakably towards God as being real and as being dependable and as being the Heavenly Father who loves me. So my faith can stay intact while I hold some issues in the background. Now, that's not irresponsibly ignoring any doubts. That's dealing with them responsibly by making an informed decision to suspend judgment for a while. So you're suspending any judgment. I mean, let's face it, if we all had the answers, there would be no room for faith. So these are the five steps we take. F-A-I-T-H, faith. To help us recover from a bout of doubt. Here we go again. If you're struggling with uncertainty this morning, why don't you put them to the test? And as you do, remember, you don't have to be afraid of questions. Because God isn't. And you don't have to be embarrassed to bring them up around here. That's what this place is for. We may be more embarrassed than you are because we don't know the answer right then. We may have to really ponder it at times. So use your doubt as the impetus to grow stronger in your faith than you ever were. And now your biggest doubt today might have been whether this message would end on time. Uh, so let's conclude by doing something a little different. I'm going to take the way the... I, I read this translation in the Living Bible, and it translates the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. And then I'm going to turn as a closing prayer. So let's pray. Father, we can see and understand only a little about you now as we were peering at your, at your reflection in a poor mirror. But someday we're going to see you in your completeness, face to face. Now all that we know is hazy and blurred, but then we will see everything clearly, just as clearly as you see into our hearts right now. And Father, we can have confidence in that because of what you have already chosen to reveal to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, folks. Thanks for putting up with my coughing. Actually, I had less than I thought I would do, but thank you for coming. And uh, just re remember those people that gave it all uh, on this day. That's what this day's for. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thank you.